Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host as always, Adela Marcy, and today we are sponsored by AdelaMarcy.com, StoriesOnBlueprint.com, and uh, AnnieAlexander.com, as well as Streamit, so that's S, uh, Steamit, sorry, S-T-E-E-M-I-T.com, forward slash, at Annie Alexander, check it out, because Annie actually, I'm totally butchering her name, it's Annie, um, her, her, it has a ton of content from her. I'm kind of slightly flabbergasted just in FYI because like we have had weird internet and now you can hear a construction crew across the way from my place and that's always fun. So bear with me, I'm gonna try and clean up as much of this in post as I can, but you may hear the background of a saw or drill or something, but Ani, it's absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Oh, thanks a lot for having me over. And yes, it's a brutal noise, so you will have a challenge cleaning that out for sure. <laughs> I know, it's brilliant because I'm just like, eh, they chose today <laughs> of all days to do the construction, didn't they? Because they're building a, a, a new hotel right across the way from me. Which is oh, I see, fun. yeah. Don't well, fun times. <laughs> fun times indeed. So anyway, please tell us a little bit more about yourself because we kind of just got very rapidly introduced. Oh yeah, we have. So uh, the, the short version of the story is that I'm a um, best-selling fiction author. I write novels. Uh, I'm also a podcaster. And um, so that's the short story. But I had a long uh, corporate career, which I quit. And it's been a bumpy road since then. So um here is what I'm doing right now. It's mainly podcasting and writing. And uh, I'm also involved in a startup, which is uh, working at the artificial intelligence field, which is lots of fun as well. And um, yeah, basically, that's it. That's pretty cool. So what are you doing in the field of AI? Because AI is something I've looked into. Um, I'm, I dabble in the energy fields and stuff like that. But most of the like, a friend of mine does, um, what was it called? Uh, I think it's native. Well, essentially what they do is they take uh, voice to text. Yeah. So that's what mm -hmm. basically they're, they're developing like a voice app that basically in, it helps people with accessibility to be mm -hmm. understood better. So how did yeah. you get involved with AI? I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, we're going to talk about your books in the podcast in a moment because I'm interested in those as well. But AI just seemed to grab me because it's so left field. How did you get involved? Oh, yeah, it is. Well, I'm, I'm very surprised myself ending up there because uh, obviously I don't have the technical background and um, I mean, I can't even code. So um, it was something I never planned to do. But when I was in London, I um, got introduced to someone who is in that field and who is doing various um, projects in the AI field simultaneously. So um, I'm helping her out with the non-technical part of the things, which is operations, uh, project management, HR, and stuff like that. So I'm not really into AI, AI per se, but um, just because I got involved, uh, I obviously now know much more than I used to. That's actually the best way. Sorry I keep muting myself. I just don't want the background noise to affect you because, again, it's really irritating for me. I don't know what it's like over there for you guys. <laughs> um, again, apologies. We'll try and clean up and post. Now, something that's actually quite interesting to me is how did you become a fiction author? Like, are you teen fiction? Are you... What, what type of realm of fiction are you doing? 
Uh, well, I have two novels out there for now, and both of them were based on a true life stories. So um, it's basically taking a true life story and modifying it a little bit, adding fiction elements to it, and ending up with something that is that sounds very realistic, but is also not really a biographical stuff. Oh wow! Okay, so. Wait, are they what? What type of genre would you say your stories are in? Well, I mean, I think uh, at least I thought they were more like female fiction. I thought that more women would be enjoying reading them, but I had uh, I had some feedback from uh, male readers as well, and it seems like it's um, it's just those uh, relatively light page turners, I would say. Oh wow! Okay, so it, it, just what I'm really trying to get is it more of a drama style? Is it crime thriller? Just trying to get a feel because I'm actually uh, writing a crime thriller myself right now. Yeah, it's it's more towards the drama side of the thing, so it's wow. a bit of extreme life stories. Which wow. uh, the the first time the idea came to me was when I heard I actually remet. I I've been traveling quite a lot, so I lived in six different countries, and when I was a teenager and was changing countries and schools, internet wasn't available back then. There was no internet yet, so I uh, I had a challenge keeping in touch with my friends from different countries so later on after 17 years of hearing nothing from my friend she found me on Facebook and told her story of what happened to her during that period while we were apart and uh, and I thought that it's like it's so dramatic and so extreme that I couldn't I wouldn't be able to make something up even if I wrote a fiction about that. So it was a ready story, which just, you know, came to my eyes like, like a movie. And I was like, you know what? Uh, you need to write a book about this. This is awesome. And uh, she told me, you know, you're the one with the writing gift. I'm, I'm giving it to you. You can modify it. You can change it. Do it with it, whatever you want. Um, just keep, you know, my name out of it. And, and that's it. It's yours. Um, so uh, that's how I started writing my very first novel, which became a bestseller at the end. Wow, that's amazing. What's, what's the title of that novel? Just in case one it, of my readers want to check it out. It's called High Fall. High Fall? Yes. Or Fall, F-A-L-L. Yes. Okay, All High in Fall. one word. Cool, yeah. High Fall. That's pretty cool. I like that. Because like, right now I'm going through the challenge of actually writing... Um, my first trilogy. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, that's that's a thrills. smart move because I I, I was writing standalone uh, novels, uh, which in terms of marketing is not a very easy and and smart thing to do. So uh, trilogies and series work much much better. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally more of if I could write this entire book as a standalone, I would. But honestly, it's. It's not that type of book. It's very much like it has to be done in three parts to explore the origins, conclusion, and all that. The other so that there's a lot to cover in such a short space of time that I have to make sure that it happens. But yeah, no, I mean that's idea generation can be quite a, a pain because you're trying not to rip off what's there, but also you're trying to make something. It's crazy. Now Absolutely. you got into, now you got into podcasting. I mean, I want to know what your journey was into podcasting because mine was a little bit was probably different to a lot of people, but I want to know how yours was. Okay, so um, my podcast turned exactly three years ago, uh, three years old on July 1st. So okay, congratulations. It's... <laughs> Thank you. So, so it's not a very young one, you know, compared to the market. Uh, but um, 
the idea came from the following. When when I wrote my first novel, I had no clue what to do with it. Uh, so I started doing a little bit of research. Uh, the backstory is I am originally from Armenia. So that's where I was living back then. That's where I started the whole thing. So I had no clue about self-publishing because it doesn't exist over here. No one know, knew about that back then. So I did a little research. I realized how traditional publishing worked. I understood that there is no chance going there and I'm super impatient. So I, there's no way I would wait for years to get an agent and then a publishing house, etc. And I discovered Amazon's Kindle publishing platform. So I did all the mistakes newbie writing, writers do. And I spent lots of time figuring things out. I found out everything that doesn't work. Eventually, I found out things that worked. And I realized that I wanted to help people like me, newbie writers who are on shoestring budget and who have no clue what to do with their writings to help them share their writings with the world. So I was initially thinking about blogging back then, but it was already overcrowded. And I thought that it's sort of, you know, it will be very hard to gain audience and to help more writers. So podcasting was emerging. It was a relatively new thing. I had no clue how it's done. So uh, I thought about it, but then I thought against it. I thought like, you know, who the hell will be listening to someone with an accent? And then I thought maybe it's very tricky and complicated in terms of production and equipment may be very expensive, etc. So I ended up you know, exploring podcasting to find out what it is and how it works. And I realized that it's not that complex. And um, and I just, you know, recorded a very short, just two minute piece and send it to my friends in the UK and the US saying, can you understand what I'm telling? Is my accent too thick? Would you listen to a podcast if it was, you know, by me? So they came back to me saying, you know, you shouldn't really worry about it at all. Just go ahead and do it. So from the minute I, re I decided to launch my podcast, which was initially called Right to be Read, until it was launched, it took me three weeks. So I was learning and recording um, interviews and solo pieces parallel to each other. So in three weeks, it was launched. Its main mission was to help newbie writers to become uh, successful self-published authors. And I was really lucky at, at a point because it immediately uh, was featured in the new and noteworthy in in overall in uh, in my categories in different countries so um, so I ended up you know gaining traction quite fast and apparently what kept me away which was my accent became the unique brand feature of the things because very very often people in reviews mention that they love my accent Oh yeah, you have an amazing accent, and uh, you should never ever let anyone tell you anything different. <laughs> Thank you. And that's always true. Like, my, Well, do you mind if I share my journey on how I got into uh, the podcasting scene? Absolutely. Well, my thing's a little bit different than yours, because uh, mine didn't come from a need, it really just came from a want. Now, one of my favorite shows of all time is uh, a guy called Joe Rogan. Now, a lot of people that have listened to my podcast and listened to this, they know who Joe is just simply because I always talk about how great he is. Um, Joe inspired this show because prior, like, I think it was 2010 or 11, 
I did a set of interviews called Copy Warriors. Now I'm a copywriter, or I was a copywriter by trade. I'm now just a consultant and direct response consultant at that and help people with sales and business and all the other fun stuff. Now, mm-hmm. so marketing's kind of like my thing. So while we, and sales too. So while I was there, I was creating something called Copy Warriors, which is where I'd get some like some great copywriters, you know, interview them, release the interviews. I've, my laptop got stolen at some point and the corrupted hard drive went, so eventually I lost quite a lot of them. But I, I used to ask the same 10 shitty-ass questions that everyone else used to ask, thinking mm-hmm. I was being unique. I was really, really stupid, like really stupid being that naive about it, but I had to go through it. Now, fast forward to about three years ago, because my podcast, this is coming up to its third year in November. Um, what was it? I So 2014, no, it would have been would have been around it would have been in November, it would have been sooner, so around September time. I'll find out when the first publish was. Um, but we did this in twenty fourteen and I got on the phone I got on a call and I was like, you know what, I really want to do a podcast with you. And uh, it was with a friend of mine, so they were like, Why? I was like, Because honestly, when we when we talk, people tell me all the time that I should record my conversations because I kinda of just zone out and have conversations and brilliance and whatever it is comes up and they're like, Okay, cool. So mm-hmm. Yeah. How? What should we do? And I'm like, honestly, let's just hit record because I want my show to not be structured around questions. I love Joe Rogan style, which is just like, if there's a question that comes up, I'll ask it. If there isn't, we'll just have a conversation. Like if we were sitting at a bar and someone decided to record it. And that's exactly what I do with this show is, as you've probably noticed and my guests have and previously have noticed and my audience knows, uh, knows I pretty much just keep consistently just having fun conversations. I mean, if it's a boring show or something like that, then, you know, we'll end it early. But most, or if it's like the other person's really busy and they need to go. But the most of the time, the longer I can keep the person on, the, the better it is for me, just simply because I love talking to people and seeing what they're into. Just like you and like your idea with um, Highfall, that's an amazing idea, taking someone else's story, turning into a book and going through the Kindle publishing stuff. So that's how we came up with the whole podcast. It was essentially just like, how would you act if you and a friend had coffee in a bar and someone decided to record it? And that's where the show was birthed from, that idea. I um, think it's great because actually uh, it's probably the only way uh, to to make sure that your episodes are not like each other. Like, you know, I never prepare any questions in advance myself just for that purpose, to make sure that, first of all, it's it's sort of, you know, it free flows, it's conversational, and second, to make sure that I don't repeat myself all the time because it will become redundant. Exactly. I mean, there is something I always ask on the show, but it's, it's, very, it's very rare that we get the same piece of advice from someone, so it's always cool to get perspective. But most of the show is 100% just like, you know, whatever comes up in the moment comes up. And I agree with you because if it becomes redundant and boring, no one listens. Um, and that was the other thing I really wanted to do was with the show. I wanted people that came onto the show. I want their audience to see that there is more to them than what they know them as. So mm-hmm. like initially it was a lot of business owners would come on like, look, you, your markets know you as this type of person. How about we break that image and show them that you're just an everyday type of person as well? I mean, yeah. that'll, that'll draw complete resolution and peace between you and your marketplace and people will get to know you, like you and trust you because of your authenticity and vulnerability. And this was before it became buzzwords. This is yeah. like <laughs> years ago when it was still just a new thing. It was just a fun thing to be there. 
Now, that being said, I'm really curious about something. How did you go about like publishing with Kindle? Because that's something I've looked at as an avenue and for publishing my books. I went the more paperback route. Um, what would you say is one of the cool things about Kindle? Like, how did you do it? What advice would you give to someone that's going into that? That kind of thing. Uh, well, uh, first of all, um, you know, it, it's the, the big question is whether you should choose the traditional publishing route or the self-publishing in general, because Kindle publishing is one of the ways to self-publish your books. There are some others, but Kindle is the biggest. So it's the obvious choice for many to go and start with that. Um, and the, the magic, like the advantage of self-publishing per se is that uh, you... It's, you know, the analogy is working for a corporate or being an entrepreneur. So traditional publishing is more towards the corporate part of the things. And self-publishing is the entrepreneurship where you do have the control of the thing. So it's your decisions about the book. It's uh, everything is under your control. Um, but at the same time, you do have to do more work in terms of marketing, in terms of making sure that it sells, in terms of growing your audience, etc., etc. Um, Kindle publishing is uh, it's relatively easy in a sense that you know all you need to have, and and I say relatively easy because having those things is not very easy <laughs> per se. But you do have, first of all, to to have written a good book which is the hardest part of the thing in the beginning. Uh, and you have to make sure that the quality of that book doesn't really um, differ from the quality of a book published by a professional publishing house. So that's the, the main challenge. So you, know, you have to make sure that the book cover is a professional book cover, that it's, uh, the text is well edited, that it's nicely formatted, that it does look if someone you know holds your book and doesn't know if it's self-published or not he wouldn't guess that's the ultimate goal of a self-publishing author because that by itself will guarantee and will make sure that your book is a, of a good quality so that's the first thing because if you go ahead and promote and market and sell a book which is not good you you're basically doing one thing you're making more people know that you can't write well or that your book is not good basically so the first foundation is to make sure that whatever you will be promoting later is good and then you have to make sure that you need to to deal with the marketing and promotion and selling the thing and the easiest way to do that is to make sure that you start marketing your book and growing your audience from the day you decide that you want to write a book so you don't lose the whole say, time of write, while you write the book you use it also to create to to grow your audience to create anticipation to make sure people know who you are and you know what you're doing and so you have a, at least a small army of fans waiting for your book so they can help you with your book launch See, that's actually something a lot of people tend to miss out, and I'm really glad you brought it up. It is that idea of having a predisposed fan base. Yes, it's and, very important. Oh, it's extremely important, and a lot of people don't do it, and I don't know why. I think it's just simply because it seems like hard work to a lot of people. But in reality, it's one of the best, but it's one of the things that pays the most dividends. Because, you know, you now have a fan base that's ready to buy from you from the get-go. It's inbuilt. And if you're thinking of taking it to a publisher uh, to get it published, 
you know, professionally and stuff, it's another way that you can bring something on the t- uh, to the table that allows them to know that you're serious. As far as well, actually, these days, publishers uh, look at that specifically. So the, the, the funny part is when you're approaching agents or publishers, the first question they are asking is how big is your platform, which for me doesn't make sense because if I have a big platform, platform then I will do it all by myself yeah. and why should I why should I give about you know 80 50. to 90 percent of the royalties to the publisher if I can get 70 percent royalty from Kindle exactly why would you go ahead and give up your money when you can do it yourself it makes yeah. no sense but that's actually really interesting in its own way so what advice would you give to someone? Like, I know you said getting your name out there and, you know, from the moment you decide to write a book, but what are the ways that you would suggest that someone actually gets started with getting their name out there, getting them, themselves known? Well, I mean, the, the biggest uh, challenge I'm seeing, the biggest mistake I'm actually seeing by newbie writers is when they start doing stuff online and trying to get their name out there, they are getting involved in uh, writers' uh, groups, so, which which is a perfect place to get advice and to interact with peer writers, but it's the worst place to grow your audience and to to market your books because other writers are most probably not your potential readers. So, based on what you are writing, what genre you are writing, and what kind of readers you are targeting, you should figure out where they are and go there instead of going and talking to writers, which is another part of the activity but you know in in order to create that uh, interaction and get the first pool of your potential readers you should find out where the people who enjoy reading books similar to the one you're writing hang out and create that first interaction and connection there that's really helpful advice because a lot of people don't do that it's interesting yeah. whenever they don't and I agree with you entirely. It's about basically knowing where your audience is. And one of the best ways I always equate this is to dating, surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> is if a friend of mine, I can't remember who it was, I was having this conversation a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago again, um, about how if they went to a, like if they went to a boxing match, they're female, they're like, if I went to a boxing match, I didn't realize that there were so many men there. I was like, yeah, there's loads of men there, both single, married, in a relationship, all types of men are there. But there's men there. It's the same as if I went to a yoga class um, in Hollywood, like West Hollywood. I can guarantee you the majority of the patrons patrons there are female, even in London where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. If I go to a yoga class, the majority of people who are doing yoga are female. Yeah. So if I was a single guy looking to go, you know, find someone that's like a yoga woman, you'd go to where basically what you want is there. It's the same with the book. You wouldn't be. Absolutely. Why would you take it to other publishers? Because that's just going like, to other artists. If anything, that's kind of saying uh, it's more validation that you're seeking rather than, you know, getting your book out there. What you're looking for is someone to say, good job, your book's really good, I really like it, versus getting it out there, getting the results that you want and actually having the people that matter, i.e. your customers, read it and tell you it's a good job. 
Well, yeah, you, you brought something very uh, interesting there as of validation, because many people still consider self-publishing being not the real publishing, so to speak. So they do. there are many people who prefer to wait and, and you know, prefer to, to get uh, worse conditions in terms of uh, financial income, but get traditionally published, which is very interesting. And you could see these big difference of people uh, involved in traditional publishing and self-publishing. For example, I've been uh, at the London Book Fair for two years and um, you could see the vibe is completely different. First of all, the whole Olympia part, like this big space, is mainly for traditional publishers. Uh, but there is very small, very small space at the very end of the of the whole thing, completely separated, which is for self-publishers. So the Amazon book is there, the author's headquarter was there, etc. So there were mainly self-published authors and Amazon Kindle Publishing um, present there. And the panel discussions, the people who were interested in the whole thing and the whole vibe was completely different, less official, more fun and stuff like that. And that's really cool because I actually prefer those kind of areas. And a lot of traditional publicists, I do know this, they find, again, they're threatened by the whole self-publishing aspect because you're essentially taking away their livelihood. Because the way they make their money is based on how well your book does. And again, they keep huge royalties. They do. They do. And the thing is, uh, the way they actually evaluate your book is they're trying to find the potential commercial value of the book, um, which not always you may be writing about topics or you may be writing in a genre which is not very popular. So by, with self-publishing, you, you will go ahead, publish it on Kindle and still find your readers and still find or, you know, and still share the message which is important for you with your readers. While with traditional, you know, you, you do get a certain sort of limits in terms of what does well, what will sell, and how are your chances to get a publisher based on that only. Yeah, it's really, really backwards, in my opinion, the way they do these, because it's like, oh, it's um, because if you look, I remember like looking at my friend's publishing contract a while ago, and their contract literally said that they had to, um, if it became a movie deal, they had to still keep similar royalties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? A book deal that's turned into a movie is immense. Why would you, why would you do that? Yeah, well, I mean, that that's the that as I said, the good point of self-publishing is it's all under your control, so you can sort of you know decide maybe to self-publish, but then you know you 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 get you know once it does well and you get the attention. Funnily enough, many traditional publishers, even the ones who declined your book initially, come back to you and offer some deals. Oh yeah, yeah, a friend <laughs> of mine actually had that happen to them about. Um, one of their books and the only reason they came back was because my friend being a little bit of a smart ass that they are decided to go ahead and turn their book into a screenplay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right away like they were writing a book the book got shot down they're like oh this is really good but it's unrealistic blah 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 blah. so they were like all right screw it i'm gonna turn it into a screenplay didn't tell anyone brought out screenplay screenplay did really well on test audiences and now they're making a full-on movie about it Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's incredible because like the publishers are like hounding her right now. They they want nothing more than to be where she's at. They're like, oh my god, we love your book, and it's the same publishers that turned her down, saying that her book would never sell.
Yeah, it happens very, very often. It's a sad state of affairs. All right, so I've got a bit of a question for you that's quite a fun one, because this is really personal for me, so I thought, hey, why the hell not? Might as well have a book expert here and ask them. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been writing this book, not my crime novels. I mean, I've got several books that are in the pipeline, but one of the ones I've been looking at doing is an idea that's um, very similar to The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a brilliant book, yeah. fun stuff like that. Would you recommend going the self-publishing route? Because I'm actually thinking of going that route anyway. Well, I definitely do, especially with the first book, because I think uh, that, um, first of all, it's the self-publishing is, it, it erases the barrier between you and your reader. So yeah. the, good, the good thing with self-publishing is, first of all, you can um, test out how it works so you you can sort of you know if if you want to get a new book cover it takes you five minutes to upload it and it's it's there already the new version of the book so with traditional publishing you can't really change make changes and tweak it out so easily because you know just changing the cover will take ages and then you will still have loads of the old ones with the old cover in the bookstores in best case right here everything you found a typo you just change the document upload it again in five minutes it's boom there so it's easier to sort of correct the mistakes it's easier to um to make the changes that you need and to get the feel and on the other hand it's also easier to get a direct access to your readers because you can direct them to your website you can get their email addresses you can you know tell them where they can write you and they can connect with you directly and that uh, that is the beauty of it because you do have this need of um, you know knowing uh, that people read your books that who they are you know what they liked what they didn't like etc Oh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So my question here really is then, um, in terms of actually like teaching the stuff, you do you have a course on how to actually do this? Well, I do have, I, I had a speech at the New Media Europe a year ago in London where it, it was more tailored to content creators and to nonfiction books, to be honest. Okay. So uh, it was a six-step um formula of how to turn your existing content for example podcast into a non-fiction book so um, it was like a simplified way not to do too much extra work and to come up with a ready book based on what you already have created in the past as a content whether it's an audio content video content blogs or whatever it is okay so now you know what i'm gonna ask don't you uh where you can find it <laughs> that's one of them i was going to say that's that was one of the questions i was going to ask the other ones if i that was the original one that was um what would you like to share from that uh okay so um i can i can give you the the, the main steps without going into too much details just to you know not to take too much time from our conversation but um basically it's uh, first of all you have to come up with the main book idea because you, you you do have to have a theme. I mean, when you have a lots of content online, even if you're having this podcast, right? You have loads of different different themes, and many people are many people tend to try to put everything in one book. Um, 
which is really wrong because then the book becomes very messy and uncomprehensive and very complex, both to write and for the reader to read. So you have to pick just one idea and stick to that one idea because then it will be easy for you to to find the materials which are related to that one specific idea. And maybe in order to find that idea, it will be very useful to know who you want to write that book for so once you know you're just like you are creating a, a you know listener avatar for your podcast having an idea who you want to talk to on your podcast the same way you create probably it may be even the same person uh, you create your potential ideal reader person and uh, that will guide you a little bit in terms of what kind of content they would like to read what kind of problem they would like to tackle and stuff like that so now you know who you are writing for you know what you want to write about you go back to your inventory of all the content you have created and take out the things that are related to the book idea that you want to write about so you just you know filter out stuff leave the ones that are related to that thing right, right. and um and you create an outline so you're basically putting uh, the content into main blocks so the outline you can imagine it the way it is it's basically the table of content of your book so you write it down and then you sort out your content based on these blocks. You just, you know, divide them per blocks. So now you have already relatively structured raw material of, of the content, right? Right. So if you leave it that way, you will end up with a boring nonfiction book, which will read like a textbook, probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the most important part of having a really nice reader experience and having this writer's sort of storytelling magic into it is come up at least for each block of the table of content come up with a story you know it can be ideally it should be your personal story you know stories from your life related to the topic so you put in a sort of you know a, a story flavor to the thing and it, it doesn't really read so dry anymore because it's a story in it um so if you can make a story which can flow and and relate to every block that would be ideal but it's very hard to do if you can't at least make sure you have one story per block so to speak if if you think your life is super boring and you can't really put something about your stuff out there in terms of story take other people's stories bring other examples of stories in it but just make sure it doesn't really sound like a textbook and there's a boring dry stuff definitely, definitely so so then once you have the thing uh once you shape it out a little bit and and get into the flow and and put it all together you get the first row draft of your nonfiction book and as hemingway put it the first drafts are always shit so, so that's, uh, you know, that you've done a big work, but that's not where you, you are stopping there. So you definitely have to go through the draft. And before going through it, once again, you have probably to leave that thing for about a couple of weeks at least in order to revisit it with a really fresh look 
and try to objectively evaluate the text and see how it reads and and go through the thing and self-edit it yourself in order to, you know, take out things that you don't think that are really that necessary. Because it's better to have a short but straight to the point and interesting and exciting book rather than filling it up with stuff just because it will look decent and big enough, right? Yep. So, um, so you go through it, you self-edit it, you, you try to proofread it as much as you can. And then the beauty of it is everything that needs to be done next can be outsourced, basically. And some things should be outsourced because there are things that you can't do yourself. So uh, later on, what happens to that text, which has been self-edited by you, it needs to be professionally edited and proofread. Uh, it needs to have a cover it needs to be formatted for the e-version and for the print version. And if you, if it's a nonfiction book, most probably it's related to your business, right? Right. So most probably you want to end it with a call to action in order to drive people to something that, uh, you know, will capture their emails or, you know, drive them to a certain product or service and stuff like that. Because if they have read the whole book, most probably they trust you enough and like you enough to want to find out more. That is excellent advice. Wow, that is amazing. So that brings me to my favorite part of the show. And by the way, the only reason I'm not commenting on the other stuff is because I'm actually taking notes on it and being like, damn, that is <laughs> incredible because I might definitely be doing some of that stuff. Um, and just a quick idea. Actually, this is something quite interesting. Um, there is a plugin on uh, WordPress, which is brilliant. And if you're doing this for blog posts, specifically for blog posts versus, say, podcasts, I haven't developed one yet. But what you do is, um, it's called Beacon, B-E-A-C-O-N. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, I'm using it. It's really, really nice. You basically take all your posts and condenses it down. Now, I've not used this because a lot of my my blogs are actually, well, podcasts. So what I've done is I've taken, I've actually got a team, bless them, where what they do is they transcribe the best bits of the show and Mm -hmm. put them together. In fact, if you look at Tim Ferriss' Tools of the Titans, which is his latest book, excellent book by the way heavily recommended um that book is basically comprised of all his podcasts and the best bits broken down yeah yeah i mean that's what gary v also did with his ask gary v book as well he he basically put the the podcast parts into a book uh which is as i said it's really nice it's very easy uh but I'm not sure about the. I mean, I I didn't. I haven't read uh, Tim Ferriss's book yet, but I read Gary V's, and um, honestly, it it does feel like it's taken from somewhere. So it's it's yeah. like you know that is why I think that doing this extra work and putting in stories inside and making sure that you had, you know, the the thing is um, the experience of podcast listener or a blog reader versus the the experience of someone who is investing more time and reading a whole book are completely different. So, you know, for for, for a a blog post, you just need their attention for five minutes. You know, you're you're coming up with one basic message, uh, one certain point, and and it's there, and it's easy, it's simple. With a book, it's it's more complex because the reader, uh, you, you have always to take into consideration reader's experience because if it's not really easy flowing, if it's not 
interesting and exciting most probably they will you know they won't go ahead and read the whole thing which is uh which will be a shame basically exactly and i think with tim's book that i really like about it is again because he knows this stuff and he uses it a lot in his own life um the book's entertaining because okay. it's not just like a bunch of his podcast episodes what it is that he's uh interlaced it with like knowledge and ideas that he's picked up over the years um definitely worth reading like if you can get like a copy just at a you know bookstore to pick up and read for a few minutes you'll find that it has it's i like to like put it as um i don't do it justice because i always tell people like what's this book like i'm like it's like a reference manual for me mm-hmm, like oh that's mm-hmm. boring i'm like yeah but it's a reference manual that makes sense it's not a boring reference manual there's stories in here there's advice in here there's wealth and knowledge in here and let's but, make it a well-written book basically <laughs> exactly that's what it is yeah. and even tim is tim himself he's he's not the type of guy that can sit there and read a constipated book for too long yeah. without wanting to kill himself so yeah. don't give your readers the reason to kill themselves <laughs> rather give them something to live for um and that brings me to my favorite like part of the show really because we've all like writers we all go through this and a friend of mine said it ever so beautifully uh writers have two modes they're either ecstatic as all hell or they're manically depressed and wanting to kill themselves <laughs> that's true <laughs> the, the, there's like no in between with us yeah. we, we literally are between those two points um and the reason i believe that is is quite simply that we embody what we write we become what we write about and we write much better when we're depressed <laughs> exactly like i don't know I, it is definitely a truth because like whenever i'm emotional that's when i write the best is when i have emotion inside my work and that's actually when i'm feeling either depressed down or to the point or angry angry uh-huh. writing is another weird one so my favorite question to ask someone like you is when you were down i mean like literally knocked on your ass confident as low as it could be what did mm-hmm. you do to get yourself back up oh it's uh yeah, it's, it's a tough question. Uh, first of all, I do believe that it's up to you. So, you know, if you're really depressed or if you have challenges and or self-doubt, especially this self-sabotaging internal dialogues, uh, I don't believe anyone from outside can help you out in that because it, it may, I mean, talking to people and their encouragement and, you know, this, you can do it, you're awesome and all that stuff, it may work for a few minutes, but then you go back home and it all comes back to you. So it is an internal internal uh, work to do so it's up to you actually to pull yourself out of that place uh, because no one else can do it long term and uh, what helps me usually is I'm trying to detach from all these self-sabotaging and and negative thoughts because if you really let yourself to dive into that you know all these thoughts will become stronger and bigger and you know it can lead you to very scary places so um, so I'm trying to daydream so to speak I'm trying to detach from the reality and from the bad place I am at at this moment and, and try to understand where I want to get and sort of daydream and imagine that I'm there already and stuff like that. So it's, it's sort of, you know, a therapeutic. I may even write a story about that. You know, it's, it's sort of, you know, helping you out to escape the reality because that's what you, you're trying to do. I'm also a big fan of uh, reading inspirational biographies. And when you read and get a new perspective and see that people have been in much, much worse situations and were able to sort of, you know, get out of that, it really helps. And uh, and also sometimes I just take a break and and allow myself to uh, to 
completely procrastinate, uh, do stuff that is not productive, watch movies, read good books, and just, you know, give myself a break and, and, and detach from the reality for a while to get back to it energized. I agree with that, um, especially with the movies and re-energizing. A lot of people don't really seem to pay attention to that, which is really stupid in my opinion, but, you know, um, because whenever I detach... I spoke to uh, the the week before this releases. Um, people would have heard of my friend Steve Sims, and Steve actually says a lot of the times that when he's feeling um, his meditative state isn't sitting there with his legs crossed, it's him going on his bike or just riding a oh, okay. motorcycle for like an hour or two. And by the time he's done, he feels so refreshed, re-energized mentally that when he comes back to do the task, he's doing the task. Well, I'm I'm interviewing Steve in a few days actually <laughs> for oh, my Sims. podcast. So yeah nice cool. <laughs> yeah you're gonna have yeah. so much fun with him he's such a good dude oh i have um, no doubt yeah that's pretty cool but yeah so my favorite question really to ask on the show is if you could give three pieces of advice to this these two types of people what advice would you give in the first group of people is the person that is down on their luck meaning they've done really well to a certain degree but they're down on their luck for whatever reason they can't get out of a rut that's person mm -hmm. one Person two is the person that's hit a plateau. Like they've been successful for so long, but now they just stay at the same level and they're getting bored. What advice would you give to either one? Well, for the second group, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's more like probably don't do as I do. Every time I'm bored, I drastically change everything. So like, you know, I, I changed five to six different careers. Um, in my you know corporate life uh, which is a big problem because later on my CV was completely incomprehensive no one could understand how can one person have done so many different things so I was changing industries and was changing positions and you know I, I, stuff like that so every time I'm bored I'm just you know um, if you can't find the thing that excited you in the beginning if you can't bring it back and it becomes feeling like a job and a core and stuff like that if you continue the same way you will be getting the same results so you need to find out what you need to change and you have just to get the courage and change things uh, I think that's sort of you know what what I've been doing and uh, yes it's some you know it's not very consistent so if you kept and stuck to the same think for much longer maybe you would have got better results but i'm sure you wouldn't feel as happy as you would if you were going to change stuff and do something that you know makes you much more happier as to the ones who are stuck um i guess it's just very often people get stuck because they don't get the clarity and they don't really know what exactly they need from life. Uh, because very often we have been bombarded for, with so many messages and so many stereotypes of success um, that we we get confused and sometimes we follow the wrong path. For example, like, you know, when I was graduating university, I was absolutely certain that uh, having a successful corporate career is um, is basically what I'm striving for and what is, uh, you know, the key to happiness. Um, but when I reached that, I realized that uh, that's not what I wanted. And um, 
So sometimes the success can be an eye-opening thing, realizing what you really want. So sometimes when people really tell you what is good and what you are supposed to do, just, you know, the best thing is to listen to your inner voice, to understand, first of all, what you really want for yourself, and only then start, uh, you know, getting into this. Uh, it's it's very, uh, very popular these days. I hate this word, but, you know, hustle mood. You have to find out what is worth hustling for and only then put yourself into, into this red race. Yeah, I agree with you so much there. Um, there's a lot. And there's one other question we wanted to ask you as well. Okay, so in the de- in the great debate between podcast and publishing via Kindle, which route would you take first? Because you have to take both, but which one do you take first? Oh, well, in my case, it was different because I was writing fiction and my podcast was for writers. So it was about self-publishing and book marketing mainly. So they were two separate things. I I wrote first and uh, put my, uh, and you know, this, situation of helping people who were in my shoes before sort of led to the podcast that but I think that if I did them parallel for example it would still work so it depends what the purposes for example for a fiction author uh, having a podcast and uh, recording uh, let's say the first chapters of the book or recording the backstory of how the idea was born what the process was like what were the challenges how did they take the first bad review and stuff like that may be very interesting for writers uh, for readers because readers love backstories and want to know the author behind things so it depends what the purpose is. It can be done in different ways, uh, but it can also be uh, balanced out and done together as well. Yeah. I think That's podcasts true. can become a really good tool to grow, uh, to build and grow the initial audience that you will need for your books anyway. Yep. Yep, I agree. That's amazing. So where would be the best place for someone to actually find you? Is it still the... Uh, Steam it? Uh, well, uh, yeah, the, the story with Steam it is, um, well, my website is anialexander.com. So that's where I've been like forever. That's where my podcast is. That's where my books are featured and all that stuff. You know, uh, links to my social media channels where you can contact me directly and, uh, you know, contact form and all that stuff. I discovered Steam it. Um, about, well, I, I started using Steemit basically a few weeks ago. I knew about it about a year ago. I never did anything on the platform. And I think I was wrong back then. So I'll tell you why. Um, as opposed to other social media platforms, this one actually rewards content creators with money. <laughs> so, so you do basically the same thing you've been doing over and over again. You do create content and you can even use the content that you have created before as well. But when people upvote that, you get a cryptocurrency, which you can turn into real money later on. So the more popular you become, uh, the more each post of yours is worth. And, um, you know, it's a really nice place. 
to first of all gain new audiences to interact with people who do value a good quality content and also uh, get rewarded for the time and effort you're putting into creating content so I'm putting there my creative writing pieces I'm putting there my poems I'm putting there blog posts I'm sharing some of my podcasts I'm doing exclusive interviews for Stimmet uh, exclusively and uh, it's an amazing place you, you should check it out that's pretty cool I will definitely check it out thank you so much for actually being here and it's um, brilliant having you here as a guest and hopefully we can do it sometime soon again yeah absolutely it was fun definitely cool thanks guys go check out uh, AnnieAlexander.com as as well as the Steam, uh, Steam account because we'll be putting that underneath check out her podcast get some great information from her and uh, again thanks again for being here take care and see you later bye